Dennis Stewart, good afternoon to you. Welcome along. Thank you, Dave. This is an interesting topic that you have today. We're looking oh, at is. herbal medicine now yes. and how it was maybe 20 or 30 years ago and the changes that may have happened. Well, a little bit longer than that, Dave. I'd like to talk about some of the significant advancements in herbal medicine which have brought it now into greater credibility. You're talking to Dennis Stewart today, waiting patiently at Blacksmith. Margaret, you've got some problems with dry skin, is it, Margaret? Yeah, I sure have. <laughs> hello, Margaret. Oh, hello, hello Dennis. Um, yeah, it's nice to talk to you. <laughs> um, yeah, I have dr- very dry skin. My legs are like a scaly fish. Yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've been taking fish oil yes. and I, I rub cream on it, strawberry yes. cream, yeah. but... Yeah. Every second day I've got to, you know, do something about it and and it's really worrying me. Look, sometimes as we get older, our skin naturally tends to dry out and so we do have to take some steps to uh, lessen the symptoms of that process. Mm -hmm. I'm a great believer for keeping it simple and you did indicate there that you're using topical things to alleviate some of the dryness. I'm a, I'm a great fan, and I know this might sound very, very simple, but I learned this from a lot of my students who were Indian students from India, where the use of olive oil, oh, both, right. both, yes. both orally and particularly used as a topical application, is part and parcel of their culture. Mm-hmm. So for years I've recommended to people that suffer from dry skin, for a couple of times a week, massage the skin with Ordinary olive oil, which isn't expensive. Yeah, olive, the ordinary olive oil. Ordinary olive oil from yeah. the supermarket. Doesn't cost you very much. No, see no. it as, See it as a ritual. O- olive oil is underrated in our society, very much underrated. I consider, mm. it, I consider it to be one of the best of the oils. And even though you're using some fish oil, start yeah. to use a little bit of olive oil in your diet. Yeah. It's yeah. cheap, it's effective. And the good thing about olive oil is... Apart from being a useful agent to nourish dry skin, it mm. has benefits when it's orally ingested as well. It's a great protector of the gut wall and tends to work against ulceration. It's, oh, a, it's right. a great agent, by the way, for regulating and helping gallbladder function. Very rarely do you find people coming from Mediterranean cultures or from cultures where olive oil is used a lot very rarely do you see people from those cultures suffer from gallbladder distress because we know that olive oil is an agent that promotes gallbladder function. So there's a couple of reasons, and as well as that, of course, as well as that, one of its biggest benefits, and I know this would apply to many, many people, one of its biggest benefits is that when it's taken in about a 20 to 30 mil dose, it's one of the most useful ways of improving bowel function. Very rarely does it not help people that struggle with constipation, and a lot of people uh, struggle with constipation. So there are some reasons why, apart from using olive oil as a topical agent to nourish dry skin, it should be ingested as part of our diet to assist the gastrointestinal tract in the ways that I've just said. Start to use some olive oil, Margaret. Good luck, Margaret. Thank you for your call. Now, if you'd like to call through, you'll get through straight away to Dennis Stewart. 49216216 is the number here at 2 on URFM. Now, herbal medicine, how oh, many years yeah. would it date back? Oh, Dave, if you like to look at the, the old literature going back to prehistoric times, 
It was even used in the times of the Babylonians, uh, in the times of the ancient Hebrews. If you go back to the Bible, in the early books of the Old Testament, you'll find herbs mentioned there. Probably the best documentation of it, however, goes back to the time of the Greeks, when some of the great Greek philosophers and healers, uh, people like Socrates, Plato, Galen, who was a a Greek physician to the Roman uh, emperor. If you go back to that time, the Greco-Roman period, say 2,000, 2,500 years ago, there you find good documentation pertaining to the sensible, uh, intelligent use of herbs uh, in, in, uh, in those cultures. So it goes back thousands of years, but in our culture, the Judeo-Christian culture, it's well documented about 2,500 years ago, some fascinating, uh, fascinating uses of it. For example, um, a lot of people don't realise that the Roman army, when it was on its own and marching to, to a particular place, no one could compete with them. They were the, to this day, they were considered to be uh, the best movers as far as when they were marching. And uh, part of the problem of that was that the, there used to be a lot of problems with cramps and uh, varicosity of the veins, swelling of the legs. And from the Roman use of the herb butcher's broom, butcher's broom, from the Roman use of the herb butcher's broom, we now use that same herb to address a lot of swelling conditions of the legs that go back to the time when Mm. the Romans were using it as an agent to help in their long marches to keep their legs going well and to keep blood flow going. So if you go back to the Romans and particularly the Greeks, you'll find that they were using many of the herbs that we use today in very similar circumstances. For instance, the herb yarrow is a herb that's popularly used by medical herbalists and also these days by by some doctors that use our system and compounding pharmacists. The herb yarrow, a common wayside herb that even grows in this country, had a history at that time of being used for bleeding conditions um, for various parts of the body. We use yarrow today, interestingly, to address bleeding conditions like chronic nose bleeding. Mm chronic nose bleeding and some of those conditions associated with, uh, with bleeding from various organs, functional conditions that have been well investigated but not responding to mainstream treatment. For instance, a lady going through um, before the menopause might develop, say, fibroids. Uh, rather than have the fibroid excised and seeing she's moving towards the menopause, some women would prefer to conservatively manage, say, a lot of heavy bleeding associated with fibroids. Herbalists these days would say to that woman, who would be monitored by her doctor or gynaecologist, who has chosen not to have a surgical procedure, look, try the herb yarrow in a sophisticated liquid extract form. In many cases, that has the effect of slowing down the bleeding process in other words, lessening the symptoms of fibroidal bleeding and giving the lady a chance to move to that stage of a reproductive life where menstruation will cease in any state. So there's a good example of the way, going back thousands Mm. of years, a herb was used, in the case of yarrow, for a condition that we use today, bleeding conditions, functional things that have been shown to be capable of being safely treated with a herb like yarrow, respond just as well. Now, you mentioned a couple there. Yep. Is there many of oh. these herbs that have filtered oh. down through the years oh. that are still Look, used today? You could go on and on and on. Our system of herbal medicine that I've lectured on for the bulk of my career 
is based, interestingly, very much on the, the, the herbs not only of Europe that we've mentioned, but also on the herbs of North America. And our system owes a lot to the way in which the European system of herbalism, which was taken um, by the early settlers to the US, the way in which it was blended with the traditional medicine of the American Red Indian. The American Red Indian was a very skillful healing individual. Mm. And when the Europeans went there, not only did they pass on their knowledge of herbs to the indigenous population, but the indigenous Americans passed on a lot of information about their herbs so that in English-speaking countries, the system that we use is referred to as the Anglo-American system. And from that American contribution, we get some of our most outstanding remedies. For instance, on this program, we've mentioned the herb Echinacea. Echinacea is a North American herb. It grows in the wild there, purple coneflower. And it was used by the American Red Indians for very similar conditions that we use it for today, treating particularly viral infections. So uh, golden seal, which we're attempting to grow in Australia, not easy to grow, but indigenous to the US, had been used for thousands of years in the United States for various conditions, particularly in this case, again, uterine bleeding. So even if you go back to the American Red Indians, mm. for whom I have great esteem to the extent that if you were to come to my rooms at New Lambton, you will find a number of classical photographs of Red Indians that have hung on my practice walls for over 40 years. I esteem them. And in fact, it's interesting, Dave, the coat of arms that was given by Her Majesty the Queen to the Herbless Association, I think it was in 1956, a coat of arms which... Um, they tell me, is hung in the uh, College of Arms in, in Edinburgh, I've been told. But on that uh, crest, um, there are two people. There is the Egyptian priestess on one side, and there is an American Red Indian in full headdress on the other side, um, on the coat of arms, symbolising, if you like, the, uh, the European, the uh, classical connection, say, with Greece, Rome, Egypt, but on the other side, mm. great regard for the skills, the brilliant skills of the American Red Indian. It's 49216216. If you'd like to put a call through, you can talk to Dennis straight away. Joining us now is Anne. We're having a chat about type 2 diabetes, Anne. Yes. Hello, Anne. Hello. Tell me about Thank it. you for taking my call, it's Dennis. A pleasure. And it's I a do pleasure. Listen, listen to your program if I can Thank every you. Friday. Thank you very much. Uh, type 2 diabetes. Yes, yes. What are you doing about it? Are you on medication or managing it with diet and lifestyle? Uh, form, formicin? Yes. Formit aspen? Yes. I take one at night. Okay. So you're, you're under very conservative management at this stage. Right. Look, what I would suggest you do, for anyone who has type 2 diabetes, which, let me emphasise, is not type 1 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition and necessarily needs to be critically monitored and managed uh, medically. Type 2 needs to be managed and monitored medically also, but type 2 um, is something that you and I particularly are prone to at this stage of our life. I fight type 2, and what I'm going to say to you now is that some of the things that I've found useful in keeping my blood sugar levels stable and keeping what's called my HbA1c below 7, which is a critical indicator for well-managed type 2, some of the things that I do, which I'm sure your doctor would have no problems with, are as follows. And I pass this on to all listeners 
who want to do something about lessening the drift of their type 2 towards more interventionist therapy. The first thing I emphasize is the way in which universally around the world the herb bitter melon is, is popularly used. It's botanically known as mamordica and it's very, very readily available uh, as a food in some of our food stores, although Australians don't popularly eat it. Many people from Asia and South America eat it as a vegetable. I developed a powder of bitter melon, which is available uh, from my rooms or Vitology, and a teaspoonful of bitter melon powder. Let me emphasize bitter melon powder. About five grams of that I use daily as a contributor to keeping my blood sugar level, I believe, more stable. So that's principle number one. And the second thing is there's a very popular understanding these days of the role of cinnamon in also helping stabilise blood sugar levels in type 2 people. And a teaspoonful or five grams, say, of cinnamon taken daily has been shown to be useful also. And you can check out the information I'm giving you by getting on the net and you will find that, that I'm right in what I say there. Now, the, the, the most popular uh, medical herb that's used is a herb called gymnema, and I'll spell it for you, G-Y-M-N-E-M-A, gymnema. Now, that's readily available also from our pharmacies or our good health food stores. All these things, of course, are available from my rooms at 39 Alma Road, New Lambton. They're three easy-to-take inexpensive supplements which your doctor would probably know about and be happy for you to use particularly if you're being conservatively managed at this stage but let me just also say if you're interested in doing something more than that um, get hold of Dr Sandra Cabot's book on type 2 diabetes I stock it in my rooms and I convey it to my patients or clients it's very easy to read and the good doctor there sets out in good readable terminology, things that can also be done by way of diet and lifestyle to assist in keeping your blood sugar levels stable. Get hold of Dr Cabot's book. It's a beauty. It's available at my rooms at 39 Alma Road or via the net. And those three supplements I've mentioned, I use those and I believe in them and I think that I'm sure they contribute to my stability. Joining us from Berkeley Vale, hello Susie, how are you? Hi, well, thanks. How are you? How can we help you, Susie? Um, just wondering what you might suggest mm. for adrenal exhaustion, Dennis. Okay. What you're talking about is what goes under the umbrella of chronic fatigue. That's right, okay. yes. Look, I'm a great fan, as many listeners would know, of the preparation that colloquially is known as Astragalus 8. Now, I know, yes. I know some listeners think that I uh, mention this too frequently, um, I've got a right to mention it frequently because I was the person that uh, imported the preparation or the formula into Australia, gave the first lectures on it to a group of uh, postgraduate students at Ormond College in Melbourne many years ago, and with a colleague of mine was the first to develop a product based on the Astragalus 8 formula, uh, which has for the last 20, 25 years or more uh, demonstrated to me and many others that use it that it is probably one of the most useful devices for addressing chronic fatigue. And we suspect that it works uh, on chronic fatigue by functioning as what herbalists would refer to as an adrenal tonic. Right. 
right. The term, right. the term chronic fatigue that we use in this country is frequently referred to as adrenal exhaustion in the United States. And what it implies is that the adrenal gland is not necessarily diseased, but is weary in inverted commas. In other words, functionally, uh, it's below par, even though organically it's quite sound. Now, I know this is a controversial concept, but chronic fatigue until recently was a controversial concept, but now it's becoming increasingly understood as a reality in, in our society. And Astragalus 8, from the very start, was a formula and a product that I proved very successful in the majority of people that used it. The majority of people got some benefit, some fairly mild, but many quite extraordinary. And I say, I say to you and to listeners, if you're interested in um, information, testimonials, explanation as to how the Astragalus 8 formula works, send a stamp-addressed envelope to my rooms at 39 Alma Road, New Lambton, and I'll Alma, send you... Is that ALMA? ALMA, 39 yep. Alma Road, New Lambton, yep. re- requesting the information, and I will send you the brochures that have been written and the testimonials that have been given attesting to the benefit of the Astragalus 8 formula for chronic fatigue or what the Americans call adrenal exhaustion. Right, So right. The, the inter- there's an interesting history about the formula. Um, a colleague of mine and myself, as I said, developed the first preparation of it in this country, and it was a liquid preparation, and uh, it did so very well um, that we formed a company. That company was formed and known as Oriental Botanicals. Down the track, two individuals, one of whom was a graduate student of mine, um, purchased the product from my colleague and myself, and they sold the product very well under the name of Oriental Botanicals. And also, they formed a secondary company uh, dealing with the retailers uh, called Fusion. So Fusion have the product known as Astragalus 8, and the practitioners still use the product uh, under the name of Oriental Botanicals. Now, from what I understand in recent times, uh, Blackmores have become the owner of uh, those companies and therefore would own the Astragalus 8 formula now, and I'm happy about that because anything that Blackmores takes on board, manufactures and markets is high quality, as we know. Right. So can you buy the liquid formula? You can, and you can purchase that um, from most locations. But as I've said earlier, any of these preparations is readily available from my rooms in 39 Elmer Road, New Lambton, directly opposite the New Lambton Public School. All right. Thank you so much. We move on with calls now. In Minmai, it's Paula. Hello. Oh, hi there. Hello, Paula. How are you? Good, good. Good. Um, my partner has mm. gout and yes. has a big toe. Yes. And so we've been trying, he's had it for a week now, and we've been trying to treat it naturally with baking soda and drinking apple cider vinegar um, and having pineapple and what have you. And I thought maybe the green lip mussels would help, but I know some seafood's yeah, not good for gout. I, I, wouldn't, so. I wouldn't recommend the green lip mussel for an inflammatory condition like that. Right. Green lip mussel... Um, contain substances similar to glucosamine and are much better used, or it's much better used, in dealing with degenerative joint conditions such as osteoarthritis. Right. The, the, if your husband or if your partner has acute gout, you need to get that under control pretty quickly because it can, it can become a quite a complicated 
condition. But if you're interested in doing something that makes a little bit more sense, in my opinion, than using, say, something like the New Zealand green dip mussel, if you look at the net, you will find that a concentrated extract of cherry, mm-hmm. right, a concentrated extract of cherry yep. has significant, let me emphasise, significant history behind it and significant clinical evidence to say that it is a workable agent, certainly in preventing gout, and there's a product on the marketplace now made by a good company, Nature Sunshine. I'll mention that again, a good company, uh, and I know the people that manage it here in Australia. They're they're very ethical people. Uh, Nature Sunshine product is called Gout Fighter. Okay. Now, it contains the concentrate of, of cherry with an extract of willow bark, and celery seed did it. It's a good preparation. And in fact, I know it works because I had a gentleman who came to see me in great distress in as much that his gout was seemingly not responsive to what was being offered to him medically. And he had a trip lined up, a surfing trip to go to Indonesia. Um, I suggested, I suggested that he go on to the gout fighter preparation, which is an encapsulated preparation in what's called the acute dosage. There is a dosage on the label, an acute dosage, which seemingly your partner would be eligible for, and then there's what's called a chronic dosage, which one would take if one were a sufferer ongoingly of gout. The gentleman went on to that, and the results were outstanding. Um, He was able to, even before he went to Indonesia, his condition had retreated. He took the product with him for a couple of weeks to Indonesia, came back joyful of the fact that there was no reassertion of the symptoms, and that was a good uh, indication of the way in which that preparation helped that man in an acute situation of gout. Good afternoon, Marjorie. How are you doing? Good, thank you. You've got a problem, Marjorie, have you? Uh, um, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I've got type 2 diabetes. Yes. I get, uh, I've also got um, nerve damage in my right leg and foot. Peripheral neuropathy. Yes. Yes, yes, and I get bursitis. Okay. Look, there's not a lot that you can do for peripheral neuropathy in our system of medicine. I'm being absolutely honest with you as as far as oral medication is concerned. But sometimes, and you need to discuss this with your doctor or pharmacist, but sometimes you can use preparations based on capsicum, which are very useful for sedating some of the neurological pain associated with peripheral neuropathy now there's mm-hmm. there's a little product called zostrix i'll spell it for you yep z-o-s-t-r-i-x zostrix z-o-s-t-r-i-x zostrix t-r-i-x okay now, that... the doctor has got me on two um nerve tablets Lyr- Lyrica. And, yes. Sim- and Cymbalton. And, and look that's fine i've got no problem with that um, zostrix is used particularly to deal with what's called post-hepatic neuralgia, which is the lingering pain, nerve pain, that some people have subsequent to getting shingles. Now, Zostrix has demonstrated some usefulness also in dealing with other nerve-based pain when it's applied. It needs to be applied. It's not taken orally. It's applied, and one needs to take or use it for about four to five days before one is likely to be able to make any assessment of whether or not it has any benefit. There is an explanation how capsicum depletes the transmission of pain. 
I'll not go into it, but it's quite credible. So if you want to try something that's not expensive, go to your pharmacist, look for some Zostrix. If you can't get Zostrix or it's not around, it should be, by the way, any capsicum-based product um, should be able to do the same. Yep, okay. Um, I already take the turmeric. Yes. Well, turmeric's uh, useful as a mild anti-inflammatory agent. It would not have any significant effect on post-hepatic neuralgia. All right. Joining us now from Spears Point, good afternoon, Peter. Hello, how are you? I'm well indeed. That is good. Uh, Dennis, quick question. I have a young guy that uh, works for me. Yes. Um, Before he worked for me, he was homeless. Yes. Uh, I've now taken him into my home because he's a wonderful young fellow. He's 26 years old. Yes. He suffers from terribly, terribly high anxiety. Yes. Um, and um, doesn't and he doesn't trust the medical profession. And he and I'm looking for a natural. And I've been waiting for the show to come on. Uh, a natural remedy. Mm-hmm. It, it, right into natural stuff. Anything natural, he'll try. Well, I'll cover I'll cover my bases here by saying that you would appreciate that anxiety can vary from mild anxiety through to critical anxiety, which needs necessarily to be medically managed. Um, I must say that because I've seen some people who have foregone medical treatment for anxiety and have ended up in in a bit of a mess. So um, I would factor that into the equation. But having having said that, for what I call the milder levels of anxiety, which are not considered... Uh, as being critical as far as medical management is concerned, the yep. herb kava, K-A-V-A. K-A-V-A, yeah. In right dosage, in right dosage, is yep. a useful agent for managing non-critical, mild levels of anxiety that most of us would experience. There is good information on the net. Um, yep. One needs to be a little bit careful in using kava, even though it's available from pharmacies and health food stores without script. Um, it is not recommended to be used if if one uses a lot of alcohol, if one drinks a lot. That's that. Okay, well, that's fine. Um, and periodically, uh, if you're on it for any length of time, you should get a blood test to make sure that there is no ramifications occurring on any of the organs, particularly particularly the liver. Now, I have used carver myself on and off over the years, and I have not seen any significant adversity arising from it, and I recommend it frequently to people that uh, are insomnic, that are naturally anxious or nervous, but who are seeking to manage it without going down the pathway of heavy medication. So I don't know your, your, your employee, but I would say, and I come back to the point, anxiety is anxiety. If it's serious, it needs to be medically managed, but outside of that, probably one of the best herbs the top of the ladder, in the right dosage, if used properly and is monitored, is the herb Kava Kava, which comes in a tablet form and is a dose-related preparation taken, say, twice a day at least for very, very mild anxiety. It may take the edge off, but again, I come back to the point. Serious anxiety needs to be medically managed. Thank you so much for your call today, Peter. We appreciate that. Thank you so much. Now, a quick question for you. The herbal medicine industry Uh, and the herbs that we take, how are they regulated for quality? Well, Australia leads the world as far as regulation of natural products, particularly herbal medicine products. In recent decades, the Therapeutic Goods Administration came into existence. That's a federal organisation which sets the standard 
and, and demands from manufacturers of herbal products proof of efficacy. That is, they demand evidence mm. to support the claim, a herbal medicine claim, that would be made by a manufacturer. And secondly, they monitor the manufacturer and therefore a person manufacturing herbal medicine in Australia has to be licensed by the Therapeutic Goods Administration. So we lead the world in many ways. And this is such a higher standard than America, isn't it? Oh, in, in America, uh, as far as I understand, herbs are considered as, as basically foods. Yeah. And that worries me because mm. herbs, in my opinion, are better seen as natural medicines. So that is why a lot of things are said on the net from America, which would be illegal to be said here in Australia, medical claims that can't be sustained. So we lead the world, and this is why I've got great confidence in the majority of our herbal medicine products. They have been presented to the TGA, approved for the claims that have been made for them, and they have been manufactured by a licensed manufacturer recognised by the Therapeutic Goods. And are they manufactured for consistency yes. with, with dosage oh, and with, very, with what you're very, having? Very, very much so. And they have to be also tested for stability to make sure that they last the distance as far as they're expiring. In other words, herbal medications are considered to be manufactured pretty well at the same level that a pharmaceutical mm. would be manufactured at. Mm. Now, with this Australian standard, mm. is it similar in Europe? Uh, look, I think the Australian standard is is closer to the European model um, than anywhere else. I think we probably took on board a lot of the European interpretations of herbal use as opposed to a lot of stuff from the US. Okay, we're almost out of time. Yes. Thank you so much for today, as it's always. Good. We had a good time. Great to have you here. I think Jane Klein's back with you next week. It's been a quick three months, it and I've really enjoyed done. the time I've had with well, you. We've done this program over the years in various venues. It's always enjoyable. I've enjoyed don't? it. Thank okay. you so much. Right and off the air, the smiles we've had have been good. So thank you so much, Dennis Stewart. It's always good to have him here. He will be back with you next Friday afternoon from midday, taking your calls with 2 and your RFM.